Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Kimberly McGeorge. Dr. Kimberly McGeorge, N.D., C.N.H., is the best-selling author of the ebook "The Secret to Everything: Manifesting the Life You Desire." Now available on Amazon. She has practiced naturopathic medicine for over 20 years. She is a gifted intuitive, medium, empath, paranormal investigator, and remote viewer. She travels and gives classes and lectures across the country, as well as taking limited private clients. Trained in many modalities of healing, Dr. Kimberly has been practicing energy healing exclusively for the last 10 years. Dr. Kimberly has the ability to raise your vibration in person or long distance and as a result, change everything in your life for the better, forever. A gifted transformationalist, she has developed TEB or Transformational Energy Balancing in order to facilitate permanent and rapid healing in her clients. Her desire is to be your last healer. And now, the host of The Secret to Everything, Dr. Kimberly McGeorge. The views expressed on The Secret to Everything are not necessarily those of the host, the co-host, or our guests. All medical information given is for informational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose any disease or condition. Please see your medical doctor or qualified health practitioner if you have any further questions. And as always, thank you for listening. Welcome to the Dr. Kim Show, previously known as the Secret to Everything. Tonight we are missing a couple people, um, but we have great people anyway, because we're all here, of course. So I believe um, Kara is on the line. Are you here, Kara? Oh, wow. I didn't even know this show was uh, going to happen because Blog Talk Radio told me it wasn't going to happen about two minutes before the show. So I can't even see you in call screening. <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you something weird. Is I signed, I had to, they wouldn't let me sign in on my computer. And then I signed it in my, on my Mac, I mean on my um, iPad. And so I'm talking through my iPad. But I'm looking at my computer, so I don't really know what's going on. It must be a Log Talk Radio thing. So I was talking to Angela, and I'm like, Angela, it's always like this. Just go with it. <laughs> so. yeah, well, maybe it's because we have our special uh, second-hour UFO topic. Maybe this is a little bit what we're not supposed to be talking about. I mean, this was some pretty major interference. I would say it gets the gold medal. Yeah, I think this is the worst because, like I said, I, I don't know why I can't talk through my computer. But good thing my iPad is charged. And good thing we have Walt here to give us our announcements so we can recover from whatever's going on. But Angela is here. We have some wonderful guests, and I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about uh, a topic we've never actually covered before, and I'm really excited because we're going into the holidays, and um, I'm, I'd like to talk about a different approach to weight loss, and Angela is an extreme expert. I would call her an extreme expert, so I'm very excited to 
hear what she has to say. I just said excited like three times in <laughs> one minute. So, Kara, um, we'll let Walt give us the announcements, and you and I will breathe, I guess. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> all right, my pleasure, Kim and Kara. Next week, we will be featuring Psychic Healer, Marie Laratonda, for the first hour. and the second hour, we will have our good friend Danny from Spirit Box, and he will be conducting a live EVP session on the air with his new equipment. Then we go over to Dr. Kimberly will be featured on the Gabby Tubbs show, Coaching with the Masters, for a question and answer session directly after the show. There should be a link posted on Facebook and Twitter, and if you're interested in hearing that, tomorrow Dr. Kimberly will be featured on From Heartache to Joy at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check out Kimberly McGeorge on Facebook or at Serene Wellness on Twitter for the links on the October 16th show. Dr. Kimberly will be speaking on Rapid Fire Awakening. Learn to create and manifest the frequencies of your divine destiny. There will be a link on www.secrettoeverything.com to sign up for that. On the 17th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, she will be speaking on the Sheila, Sheila Gale Show as well. And then on the 24th, we have Marty and Michael Perry of www.spiritart.com. I like that website name. This husband and wife team combined the medium talents of Michael with the artistic talents of Marty to conduct some amazing sessions on mediumship. Michael connects with your loved ones, and Marty can draw what she sees. Hunter, Shia, and Jack Campassi will be helping to co-host, as well as talking about the Monster Men video blog and his experiences as horror writer. Then, on October 31st, we have a very special Halloween show. We will be airing our show a little later that night. Um, around 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, The Wraith Project will be featured as well as Crypt Paranormal from Canada as discussed, and they will discuss all things relating to EVPs, possessions, ghosts, hauntings, and the afterlife. You won't want to miss a minute of October. And as always, feel free to contact us. Uh, for Kara, you can follow Kara at, on Twitter at Coast number two Coast. Kara, and her website, and also on um, Facebook, is Strange Days Indeed. I it's actually Strange Days Indeed Radio. Sorry, uh, my fault. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, not so, so, All right, it's cool. So, uh, and then, uh, then, there's, then there's me, uh, Ghost Hunter Walt on Twitter. I do follow back as well. And I also have my own website, www.gotspirits.org. If you're interested in learning more about what I do, or if you'd like to contact me about uh, any show questions we may have, so uh, Dr. Kim, back to you. Oh, thank you so much. And like I said, um, if you'd like to, you can't get enough of me. And two hours isn't enough. I'll be on for another hour, hour and a half on that Tele Summit and all the information. Maybe Kira, is the chat room up? I don't think it is. Is it? Um, it is. The server actually just crashed, so it's gonna come back. Oh, okay, well, maybe you can post. Um, I don't know if you can go and get it off Facebook and post it in there, but maybe um, Kara's more multi-talented than I am. Maybe she can get that information up there. But I did post it on um, both my 
Serenity or Serene Wellness page and Kimberly McStories on Facebook if you're interested in that or not. So, Kara, what do you have coming up on your radio show? Would you like to tell us about that really quick? Well, uh, tomorrow night I am taking the night off uh, because uh, my friend medium Mike Davis just flew back home to Wales, and so I'm pretty tired. Uh, But next Monday I'll have on Master Numerologist Leslie Amerson, and if people want to go to my show page, it's Blog Talk Radio slash Strange Days Indeed, and you can get your mini numerology reading this coming Monday. Ooh, with Leslie Amerson. I heard she's a really good numerologist, so that's really a great opportunity to get a free reading from her. Well, without further ado, um, let's talk about our show tonight. Kara, would you like to introduce our guest? Yes, I would. Tonight is going to be very exciting. We have Angela Levesque. She's a certified exercise physiologist, energy healer, and mind-body educator for persons with chronic illness. Angela understands the importance of creating balance within the body. For the past 10 years, Angela Levesque has been avidly seeking out information on the body's natural healing system and the mind-body-spirit connection. Her aim is to bridge the gap between our current Western medical system and evidence-based spiritual and metaphysical practices. She also does a whole host of other things, but I really want to get to the questions. If you have any questions tonight about holistic weight loss or health or what's in our food, please call in at 1646-564-9712. Thank you so much. And um, Tara, can you bring her on? Because I'm not sure if I can. Okay. And without any further ado, here is Angela Levesque. Evening. Hello, how are you guys doing? <laughs> We're doing good now that we've got everybody on the air. That's the important thing. So um, I don't know if you heard what Kara was saying, but I guess Kara went to log in and Blog Talk Radio actually said there was no show scheduled. Is that what happened, Kara? Yeah, they actually. it actually appeared like the show was not going to happen. <laughs> and that was a couple minutes to the show starting. And now I'm not sure if other people can hear it, but I feel like I'm in a windstorm right now. I'm hearing a lot of wind. Is oh, I thought else that was you. Is that you, Walt? Are you in a maybe? I'm. I'm in my bed. I, I did have beans for for dinner. <laughs> no, um, that's not me. <laughs> Walt, we're about to drop your call accidentally. So you better be paid. <laughs> Well, Angela, I was so, I don't know if you guys know this, but I don't know how many months ago, a couple months ago, two or three months ago, I was on Angela's show, and we talked about, what did we talk about, Angela? I don't remember. We talked about abundance and prosperity, and yes. Right. That was so much fun, and she was such a gracious hostess, and now it's her turn to hang out with us. So, Angela, do you have an actual center I kind of wanted to ask that. That's my own personal question. Do you have a center, or are you just online, or, or what do you do? Um, well, I've sort of just recently shifted um, my work to more doing education and speaking and writing. I do a lot of writing on sort of health-related topics with a blend of spirituality. So um, currently I am in the process of building up several online self-paced e-classes and then just sort of working from home and doing my writing. And uh, I hopefully am, my book is coming out at the beginning of January, so I've been working on that. But I did sort of switch. I used to 
do a lot of practitioner work, and uh, I just kind of felt a calling to go more towards teaching and speaking. So that's sort of been my shift, and it's only been in the past few weeks that I've uh, started making the transition. That's exciting. It is. You know, I I really love doing one-on-one work, but i got to say my passion is really uh, in teaching. Ah, so we'll get to experience a little bit of that tonight, right? (laughs) I hope. Yes. (laughs) So we kind of um, advertise this show as a mind-body holistic weight loss hour. And coming into the holiday season, it's funny because what was that you and I that were talking about this? One One of my friends and I were talking about this yesterday. We were like, the only way to really lose weight is diet and exercise. Do you agree with that? And why or why not? Well, you know, I do. I mean, if it was just diet and exercise, we wouldn't have 67% of our population obese or overweight, a third of those obese. We wouldn't see, you know, it's uh, I think one in four children is now overweight. Uh, I think it, this idea that it's just about diet and exercise is very limited because um, it used to drive me crazy. I listened to talk radio of all sorts, and Dr. Laura, mm-hmm. her, she would always say just, just eat less and move more. And I was like, well, yes, on one level that is that is very true. Calories in versus calories out. You consume less calories than you expend, you will lose weight. Except there's so many other things that underlie that, our motivations, our relationships, our relationship mm-hmm. to ourselves, to food. to um, And there's so many other uh, pieces that are involved that, yes, you can you can eat right and you can get exercise, but if you only get four hours of sleep a night or come home to a toxic relationship every single day, I mean, those things ultimately will affect your ability to lose weight. Okay, sure. Well, let's start out with, in your opinion then, okay, let's forget about for a second diet and exercise. What would you say are the main factors in weight loss other than that? Okay, well, so I teach a I teach a six-week class, and I call it Mind-Body Weight Loss. In the very first class, we talk all about the different factors. So, yes, diet, exercise, very important, but so is stress reduction. So is um, hydration. So is the amount of sleep you get. Uh, toxicity is really important, um, not only just, toxicity within your within your body, but are you in a toxic environment as well? Uh, your thought patterns, your conditioning, it's very interesting because um, so ever since the day of our birth, we've had to eat food, and we sort of, we don't appreciate some of the, the ingrained conditioning that happens around food. I was speaking to somebody the other day, and uh, they were talking about how, you know, they're parents had grown up during the Depression, and so they didn't have a lot of food, and it was always expected to clean your plate. So, you know, 40 years later, that expectation to clean your plate, that subconscious drive to, you know, to to leave the table, and and ultimately, if you took it even a little deeper, to make your mother happy, and you don't appreciate that we've had these very ingrained associations um, in our minds uh, that have, you know, we've had all of our life to develop. So that's a really important one, too, that we can get into more detail. But hormones, for example. Uh, Then we have external barriers, our time, our money, um, all sorts of, uh, like, cultural socialization about the way that we eat and the way that we exercise and those sorts of things. They all play 
together. I, I talk a lot about, and, I, and it's the same premise when you're talking about weight loss as when you're talking about dealing with a chronic illness. How do you create the optimal healing environment in the body? So you look at your body as a whole, as a whole person, a whole mind, body, spirit uh, connection, and you think, okay, so if I look at my life, where am I out of balance? Is it that I'm not getting enough exercise? Is it that I, you know, have an incredibly stressful job, work 60 hours a week? And, you know, when it, when we talk about hormones, for example, there's so many hormones involved with um, our metabolism, with, uh, you know, our feelings of satiety, like many, many hormones. And we want to just look at, like, one or two things. The thing is if your body has a drive towards homeostasis, so if you can create that sort of that optimal balance, that healing environment in the body, um, your body is going to have more um, ha- have sort of a drive to maintain to maintain balance. So I always talk about in terms of the optimal healing environment. So I so I, love I do that. I do I think it goes so much deeper than just diet and exercise. So so Angela, do you think that um, depression can also play a, a factor? On, I, on people being overweight? I do, and I think depression is actually a perfect example. So there's actually a certain um, sect of, uh, um, of psychiatry and, uh, what is the word, psychology that I'm talking about. We're a cognitive behavior therapist, and they actually believe that depression is actually can be caused by your negative thinking. And it's interesting because for a long time you'll hear people talk about depression as a chemical imbalance. And I always say, well, let's step back for a second and say, why does that balance exist? So when you have depression, why why is there? Is it because you're not getting enough B vitamins? You know, B vitamins are cofactors for neurotransmitters. <laughs> um, you know, so there's, there's so many things. And we know that when people are depressed, they're more likely to make poor lifestyle choices, which makes so much sense. You know, you have a really... Uh, you know, have a hard job, you don't have a lot of social support, you come home, and you sort of feel um, justified in eating that pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Well, you know, I had such a hard day, I, you know, my life is so hectic, I deserve to eat this ice cream. And so that's why I always talk, why it's so much more than, there's so many more motivations and things that underlie, there's so much more work to do uh, that not only brings us, you know, a happier life, but ultimately will lead us to make better choices. Hmm. So, so do you think like your metabolism might slow down too, as well? Like if you're if you're depressed, your your body won't burn off the calories that it, it should. Yeah, you know, I, I I don't think that it 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 does because, like I said, if you think about it in terms of op- optimal healing environment, well, your sleep, your body gives off very uh, regulates really important hormones. So if you're only getting five hours of sleep, you're not allowing your body to release the stuff that it needs to do. So, And that's just sort of uh, one example. Um, there's many examples of... So what you just think is, how do I look at myself as a whole? And how do I create um, the, the circumstances that allows my body to do what it, what it knows how to do? Your body is very wise. And... Uh, Unless you create those conditions in your life, and only you sort of know what those conditions are, um, your body isn't going to be able to do what it naturally and most certainly wants to do. 
And I guess I guess I have another question too for you. So I always hear sure. people I always hear people talk about um I guess genetics, like, oh, no matter what I do, I, I can't lose weight. My, my parents were heavy, and now I'm heavy, and, and so if they're heavy, then I'm heavy, and so it's genetics, and there's nothing I can do about it. Is that, do you think that's true? You know, Dad, I'm glad that you brought up genetics. Of course, genetics is also sort of when we talk about hydration and diet and exercise. Genetics definitely does play a part, but not as much as we used to think. We used to have this idea that genes were fake. And what we're beginning to realize is that the gene expression, so whether that gene is turned on or turned off, is largely due to our environment. And so that's the internal environment as well as the external. So, for example, stress, um, nutrition status, again, hydration, rest, all of those sorts of things um, decide whether there's that gene expression. You can have a predisposition to something, absolutely, but whether that gene expression is uh it, whether it's expressed is is ultimately up to you and and in that I think there's so much power because before you sort of give away your power everything's sort of predetermined my genes say you know my family's heavy I'm heavy um this is just going to be how it is and I think that's a creates a very limiting mindset and all of a sudden we realize that you know you may not if you come from a a very heavy set family you may not be version that you created in your mind of, of skinny, right? That may not right. be, and I don't think that's that's a, a realistic expectation for anyone, um, but there definitely is so many things that you can do to not have those genes expressed. Mm-hmm. And, and how, do you, how do you help like a, a child who who is constantly um, being rewarded with, with food every time they do something good? Um, I mean, how do we, I mean, there's a lot of talk now in, in you know, in the media about about childhood obesity. And what, what do you think are some of the ways that we might be able to, to curb that? Well, again, talking about conditioning, right? I think that um, a large part of that responsibility falls on the parents because they do need to um, teach them I mean, eating, cooking, especially cooking, is such a is such a life skill, right? But I think too, and you need to look culturally. We've shifted towards eating a much more processed diet, and I think that in a large part, the the obesity and the overweightness that we're seeing in children has a lot more to do with them eating fake food and the the kinds of food than it is just sheer the amount of quality. And again, that's you know, the parents, they go grocery shopping. They should hopefully um, be role models in choosing things. But I think that, and even if you look um, at the food that is being served in the cafeteria, which, you know, many children eat twice a day in this country, <laughs> is is largely processed. I mean, there was just a battle that, uh, you know, trying to get more fruits and vegetables, and they decided that the amount of tomato paste that they put on the pizza, which this highly processed pizza can count as a serving of vegetables, or that fries can count as a serving of vegetables. That is, I mean, there's fundamental systemic flaws at our level of government, but it also goes, I mean, ultimately it goes to the parents. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's sort of, like I said, a twofold thing that we need to, we need to teach them about nutrition, which we don't get in schools anymore, but also our parents need to, to make wiser choices and be better models um, mm-hmm. for their children. Yeah, I and, agree with that. 
Angela, I love what you said about, I say that all the time about um, homeostasis and the body and the, I actually, you know, speak of it, which I know you are too holistically with the spiritual and the mind and the body, all of it, you know, your body just desires to be like blissfully happy, healthy and and all of that. It truly does desire that level of balance. How would you um, bring the whole concept, and I know you you probably know a lot about this, is um, the GMO controversy. What do you think about that? (laughs) <laughs> this is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> um, I, okay, well, I, I always sometimes I freak people out in my classes because I do like to talk about the energetics of things um, from an energetic level, and then we'll get more to a pragmatic level. The energetic of GMO, uh, sort of the energetic imprint of genetically modified organisms, is a false thing. It's not when you go and you know I have an apple tree in my backyard. When I go and I pick an apple off that tree and I eat it, my body knows exactly what to do with it. There's this perfect harmony between, you know, what nature is providing and what my body needs because it, I am part of nature. And when you take something and you very forcefully change the the genetic structure of something, whether it's to um, kill bugs or make it more Roundup ready, which um, <laughs> I can get into a lot of detail if you don't think your your listeners know what we're talking about when I talk about that. But um, now, please your get into body, detail because I think this is a huge, important subject. I tweet about it a lot and Facebook about it a lot, and so get in as much detail as you like. Okay. Well, um, there's some. It, it seems that the our large chemical companies are now owning our methods of food production. So they're starting to buy up seeds, they're patenting seeds, and they're taking these seeds and they're genetically modifying them so that they can withstand more application of Roundup, which is a very, very harsh um, uh, chemical. And so they, they create this so it kills all of the weeds but leaves the plants because they've been genetically modified to withstand the application. And so when we when we think about what are we ingesting and because we've genetically altered it, it's not there's no longer that harmony between the body and between nature and what it has to offer us. We've all of a sudden altered it to a point that now when we take it, it it's sort of a foreign substance. So since the uh, since the increase of genetically modified foods, we've seen huge increases in you know allergy in allergies and inflammatory. Um, type diseases, autoimmune diseases, those sorts of things. And I ultimately think not only genetically modified food, but we're eating fake food. So when you think about having that perfect balance, we're taking in something that has been processed to a level that it no longer contains nutrients. And so not only is it we're not giving our bodies the building blocks to be able to carry out all of the processes, and you know, enzymatic, metabolic, all of the processes that our body needs to do, we're ad- actually creating a larger burden on our system because now we don't have the metabolic process or pathway, sorry, to, to deal with that stuff. And so this isn't just a problem with GMOs, but it's a problem with all processed foods. So not only are we not taking in what the body needs for all of, you know, its day-to-day actions, we're creating an added burden on top of that because we need to then create enzymes to break that stuff down because that stuff, especially genetically modified organisms, are foreign to our bodies. And um, I think that, uh, you know, it's 
you know, we could go into <laughs> our corporations buying basically our government <laughs> and allowing this. Um, it's interesting with genetically modified organisms because on one hand, they're said that they're so similar to their natural counterpart that um, they don't need additional testing, but at the same time, they can go and patent the seeds that they genetically modified. And the only way to get a patent for those seeds is to establish it as separate from something else, saying that you have a unique enough product that you can now patent the seed. And the fact that we're creating seeds and patenting life, essentially, is, is something that, as humans, we really need to, to take pause. Wow, and I just want to mention briefly, I don't know if you touched on this, I don't think so, but one way to get around this is by buying heirloom seeds. If you buy heirloom seeds or save heirloom seeds, that means if you grow a tomato, you can take your seeds from your tomato and basically replicate those tomatoes. The problem with these genetically modified seeds is that you can plant these and you're not even probably going to get a productive crop more than likely. So really it's taking the ability um, out of your hands to even if you want to have a garden, you really have to hunt down these heirloom seeds, which, you know, do reproduce actual food, as you were saying. So that's something a lot of people aren't aware of. When you buy your seeds, a lot of the seeds are actually modified. Yes, and, you know, some of them, you know, for for as long as we've had an agriculture system, farmers have been saving their seed, and now they're genetically modifying seeds that, that terminate after one cycle. And so now you can't even like you said, save your seed because it is genetically modified to die. And that, to me, is such a horrific, atrocious crime against all of um, the natural world that we would even think to do that. Like, if you even just use your most basic common sense, on what level does that seem like a good idea? <laughs> Other than, you know, putting money in, a, in somebody's coffer. But, I mean... It, Looking at all of humanity, does it does it make sense that we would create seeds that would um, self terminate after after one season? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. You know, it's funny about you saying that, Angela. I actually think it makes perfect sense if you want to control mass population. Just my thought <laughs> there. So um, on to the weight loss questions. We kind of got derailed a tiny bit. Um, so okay, so we talked a little bit about the mind. Can you talk to us more about the mind, or I would even say hazard a guess, that you could talk about some of the energy field reasons that um, we might have a weight loss problem. Like, let's approach it more from not even our belief about weight, but what emotional things other than, like Walt said, depression, what contributes to weight loss, and how can we unwind this not from a diet or exercise viewpoint? Well, I think that um, I do a lot with awareness development. People need to have more of their day-to-day -day thoughts conscious. Um, I think that so often we go through our daily lives and we're not even aware of the self-talk that's going on, whether, you know, we're looking at ourselves in a pair of jeans and saying, man, I'm so fat, or man, I look ugly. And uh, when it comes to our mind, we really need to think of our minds as directors. Um, we know this uh, from the placebo effect, that if you have sort of an expected outcome um, your body can your direct your body to your mind can your direct your body uh, to do all sorts of things if you have that expectation. So when we think about our mind as a, a director and you're looking at yourself and every single day you, going through your mind a hundred times is oh I'm so fat 
I'm so ugly. Oh, I hate myself. What? Stop and think. What are you directing your body to do? You're, you're, and I think that uh, to, to take this to the energetic level, you are creating um, that state of fatness in your body. You're doing it on a biochemical level. You're doing it on an energetic level. You're creating limitations for yourself by which um, then you feel guilt or self-loathing. And what does that do? That creates that gives you that, again, that um, that permission to go and eat that pint of Ben and Jerry's because you're worthless, you don't mean anything, you know, those sorts of things. So it becomes this, this vicious cycle. Uh, so it becomes first very important to become aware of what is the self-talk? What are you saying to yourself on a daily basis? And what are you, how is your mind directing your body? Um, what are you directing your, your body to create? Um, you know, another thing, and they talk, you know, lots of sort of weight loss gurus talk about is being able to love yourself first, even if you don't lose the weight. So often we think, you know, when I'm thin, I'll be happy, or when I'm thin, I'll, you know, try for that job. And we need to find that happy, we need to find that happiness first. And so part of that is appreciating that you're you're more than your physical body. You are your mind, and you're, most importantly, you're a soul, you're an you're an essence, you're a spirit, you're this beautiful energetic being and we get so grounded in our physical reality that it gets very hard to see ourselves beyond just that that physical shell that we carry. But as soon as we start to appreciate that we are more than our, our bodies, when we are more than our minds and we're much larger, we came to this earth to, to do much larger things and, and I think that some of those lessons that we came down here to do are very much ingrained in you know some of our challenges with weight, because they get down to the fundamental the fundamental things of how we operate, how we think, um, the relationships we have with everybody, um, and and I think that to look at weight loss as separate from those things, we're not a, doing a disservice to our body, we're doing a disservice to our souls. So I think it. It, it does go so much bigger. And that's why when you look at, you know, the people who do all these crazy cabbage soup diets and the ice cream diet and all of these weird things, and that you're not doing the work. You came here to do soul work. And part of your challenges might be the weight gain and it might be how you find your purpose and you, how you find your joy and those sorts of things. And so to just switch your diet for a couple of weeks, you're not doing the work. And so that's why ultimately uh, things like that fail. And Angela, I have a question. Uh, this sure. is Tara. <clears throat> Sorry, tonight I've been getting a lot of feedback in my ears, so it's been hard for me to talk. Um, now, recently, this year, I went through my mother passing away. And after that, I just felt like, I mean, I've always had a tough time with my weight, and I've always always been a little bit stressed out and, you know, what would you say, high-strung anyway. Um, but what what are your comments on, like, cortisol? I hear a lot of this conversation about uh, cortisol preventing you from from losing weight. What should be done first? Should it be a detox in terms of, uh, because I'm trying to do the mental work of meditating and giving myself time out, but I'm just not sure what other steps you take after that. Well, cortisol is a little bit, I'll address that first. Cortisol is a little bit of a, a tricky thing. The research is still sort of out. There's been some studies that say, yes, correlate it, it's 
uh, related to weight gain, and there's some that's saying that no, it's not. But I think when you when you talk about stress, again, taking that bigger thing, we so often we want to pinpoint, oh, it's the leptin, oh, it's the, you know, the the insulin response, oh, you know, it's it's the cortisol. And again, stepping back and looking at the whole person, the whole creating that optimal healing environment. Um, like I said, cortisol. They don't. Some studies say it has a direct result. Some people say they don't. Uh, it's kind of one of those things where they don't know. But again, what we do know is that people who are under stress tend to take, t- tend to make poor lifestyle choices. So it kind of, it's the same sort of deal with depression. That um, when you're stressed, especially the high fat, high sugar, and alcohol, people um, tend to tend towards go towards those things. So again, I would say. It, I think it's awesome that you're doing um, meditation and, uh, again, you know, just asking yourself where where is this imbalance and looking at the whole picture of you. And so maybe you feel that uh, your stress reduction is, you know, you've got it quite under control um, or maybe you think, you know, there's other things that I could be doing. Maybe what I'm not doing doesn't really bring me stress. I always talk, you have to create a calm mind to create a calm body. And uh, so looking at your stress and then looking at all all the other factors, is it that you, you know, maybe you're not eating um, uh, according to your your dietary needs. I think that eating nutrition is very uh, individual and that there isn't just one way to eat. To eat, so I think like the food pyramid does us a huge disservice, or the my place is their latest thing. But um, so taking a step back and really looking at where where are you out of balance, and some of the things too is when we we talk about body image, is um, not to limit yourself, but is you know your idea of where you'd like to be is that the real place where your body wants to be. And sometimes we want our body to be in a place that's much thinner than its actual natural state is. Um, I think we have crazy ideas of body image in this country. Um, on one end, we're, you know, two-thirds of us are overweight, and on the other end, all the images we look at are super thin, emaciated bodies. And so that also creates things. So, again, just taking a step back and uh, really doing doing the self-work, where where am I really out of balance? Because um, that's a really common thing. I hear that a lot. You know, I think I eat well and I get exercise and, you know, I do this, but I still can't lose the weight. Well, there's something, um, and only you can answer that, there's something that is not um, aligned with that creative or that um, creating that optimal healing environment in the body. Well, that's some very good information. Now, when it comes, what would be like the first step, like taking a blood test to kind of find out where your deficiencies are, or should I go to more of a naturopathic doctor uh, to start working with me in terms of finding out what nutritional imbalances I have? Yeah, you know, I think that's great for anybody, not just for weight loss, but if somebody's out there listening and they have a chronic illness, Absolutely, um, and if you can't get your doctor to do it, go go see a naturopathic doctor that will do a full blood panel, do a full um, workup on you so they can look, because there might be some really, and that's another thing too about going to see your doctor. They have different um, ideas of what optimal levels are um, that are don't take into account, you know, how holistic we are, so sometimes I just 
tell people go straight to the naturopathic doctor and get them to order your blood work so they can look. Because there might be some really glaring deficiencies, like maybe, you know, like B vitamins are incredibly important, important like I talked about, with the as cofactors for neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters run, you know, your feelings of satiety and all sorts of things, your levels of happiness and mood and all sorts of things that are very interrelated to um, our diet and our um, attempts at weight loss. So, yeah, that would be the, the very first start. And I think that should be the first start for anybody that has weight loss issues or chronic illness is go figure out because nutritionally we're not getting what we need. Um, even if you think that you eat pretty well, uh, the sort of the the food system that we've created, it, it's not like it used to be. We've put so much inputs, we've you know, depleted our topsoil, so much of the nutrients that should naturally be infused in the plants that we eat aren't necessarily there. So that's always the first place is Get a, get a full blood panel, figure out um, if there's anything that you need need to work, and then you can change that. You know, I know people who have had, had them on my radio show that deal with addiction, and the first thing that they do is deal with addiction nutritionally because, again, you don't know how out of whack things can get um, mm-hmm. if, if you're running uh, from a, a chronic deficiency. Okay, that's wonderful information, and I know a lot of people... Uh, I know a lot of people can have the same kind of complaints and wondering that I do. Oh, definitely. I was talking to Kara about, um, yeah, we were talking about food and stuff. Um, it's funny because I kind of have this theory, Angela, that um, light is one of the highest frequencies that we have access to both sunlight and some of the higher vibrating artificial lights. But I actually have this theory that I've never completely tested, but I think the higher that you can raise your own frequency in your human body, the less food that you need, and the more that literally you can get it just from the frequencies around you. Because all food just dissolves down to a frequency. Broccoli has a frequency. A twinkie has a frequency. A vitamin or an herb or a homeopathic remedy has a frequency. And this is what I talk so much about. But so it all boils down to this frequency. And most of us don't have any. You mentioned that we need certain enzymes to digest things. Most of us don't have any enzymes. To be honest with you, babies are being born. Talk about being handed down in the DNA. And what you guys don't realize is by how you live your life before you have your children, you can either strengthen your genetic line or you can weaken your genetic line. And so because of our horrible eating habits and emotional habits and our lack of being conscious in a way, because Angela said, We've really weakened, you know, our DNA. So babies are now being born with very few enzymes in their body, which is just absolutely pitiful. So our bodies just aren't functioning the way they were meant to. But what do you think about that? What do you think about my theory that you really don't have to eat if you <laughs> very much? No, I, I love it. And that's why, you know, I tell people to flip that equation around instead of, you know, when I'm thin, I'll be happy. Find your happy first because happiness and joy and contentment, you know, are at a much higher frequency than depression. And and the same thing with food, right? If you're eating high-quality whole foods, the frequency of that is much higher than when you put a bunch of um, crap into your system, you're really slowing your system down, right? Um, Not only physically, emotionally, but um, energetically and spiritually as well. So I absolutely agree with that. And, and not to mention, when you're when you're looking at things and looking at your life, trying to live with more purpose and live with more joy, 
all of these things that, you know, that we like to think are sacrifices, um, you know, not eating all those sweets or getting all the alcohol we want, they, they, it becomes more of a preference instead of a sacrifice because everything in your body is lightened. Everything is being lifted up. And so it's much easier to make those choices without seeing them as a sacrifice because um, our bodies, like I said, you put you put junk in, you get junk out. Um, if you start eating real, whole foods, if you start finding and living each day like you have this sense of purpose, those are all high-frequency endeavors. And so it's much easier to make better choices when you're when you're coming from that place than when you're really low because low is going to attract low and you're going to eat a bunch of crap and all of that is just going to sort of, like I said about before, the vicious cycle of, of feeling bad and then eating bad and then that self-loathing and that guilt and then what does that make you do? Then you eat more things that are bad for you. And, and uh, I want people to, I, I tell people that when they do, find and live from this place where they're seeking out more inner peace and they're seeking out joy and contentment, um, all of that other stuff, it's not going to be so hard to let go of. It's going to be like a snake shedding its skin. It's just time for it to sort of, you know, to fall off. And it, it and you really do um, live in a place that is at a much higher vibrational frequency than, than um, you know, going to sort of the lowest common denom- denominator. So I would absolutely agree with that. And I would bet that, and I know that any time when I'm doing a lot of energy work and that sort of thing, I eat very light because I feel light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the only time, you know, if I really need to be grounded, like after this, I'll probably, you know, speaking with you and you have a very high vibration, I'll have some meat just to sort of get me off the ceiling. But <laughs> you know, I, sweet. <laughs> It does. It makes it makes perfect sense to me. And I think you said something, which I don't know if you realized how profound what you said, and I'm going to put the pieces together very clearly so that those who listen to the replay, this is such a gem, like it's worth listening to the fabric just for this, which is the frequencies and the emotional, spiritual, physical mind feeling that you get from those things that Angela just mentioned, the joy, the peace, the love, those higher frequencies, outweigh a piece of cake or a chocolate chip cookie or a whole pizza or whatever your guy you guys go to for your emotional comfort. If you could learn, because most of you have never tasted those emotions on a day-by-day basis, and I actually happen to know, and I can read Angela, as she, I think, can read me, but I know Angela does touch those. I'm not saying we touch them 24-7, but we touch them more than the average person. So we understand how delicious bliss is. If you've never experienced bliss, imagine having your baby or getting married or falling in love or getting the job you always wanted or getting on American Idol or having your first record. It's that high feeling. We were made for that feeling 24-7. We are infinite beings of light. We were made for bliss and joy. We weren't made for ice cream and pizza. Yes. That, I'm so glad that you uh, sort of took that in, uh, sort of did a recap because, yes, absolutely, Um and I think too, not to get too political or out there, but um, once we start to understand that individually, we start to create that collectively, and then we start to demand more um, from our governments, from the systems that we've created. Instead of, you know, walking unconsciously through your life, is, you know, we do that. Then we walk unconsciously collectively through our life, and we allow um, sort of these systems to. Re- 
to create it, they don't they don't serve us anymore. And that's because we have such a level of complacency, such a level of um, you know just sitting there and just the acceptance of the status quo. And once you start mm. to raise up and become more joyful and have those sorts of things, you start to realize, no, 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 that's not going to cut it anymore. And I'm going to be more active. I'm going to be more accountable. And I'm going to be more responsible, not only in my day-to-day life, but with my family, being a better role model for my children, for my community. And ultimately, that's where we create, you know, these shifts that, you know, where we have uh, tomato... Um, <laughs> tomato or French fries counting as a vegetable serving. That's not mm. going to cut it anymore. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> right? Wow. Um, Angela, they want to know more about what you do, and I don't know how developed what you're doing is. You mentioned some programs. Do you want to talk about anything? Do you want to talk about your book or anything you're specifically doing right now that we could use as a resource if we're listening to the show? Well, um, so this what I'm talking about today about the holistic weight loss is a basis for my six-week class, which I'm hoping I'm going to have um, up by the end of next week. So if anybody is interested in doing a full class, and it's not for the faint of heart. There is homework. There's journaling. There's soul work you got to do. Um, and uh, it's very multimedia. So there's podcasts, guided visualizations. There's videos. All of my... Um, handout is narrated and uh, yeah so for those people who who like to do learning on their own they can start that I will be doing this class live online starting in January Um, and again I like it's very multimedia Um, I yeah this is one of the things that I'm just so passionate about because like as I I was just talking about that we need people to raise their consciousness individually. And it, like I said, it's so integrated into our food because we've been recreating these patterns since our, the day of our birth. And like I said, some of us came here um, on a soul level to, to deal with these challenges when we came to Earth. And uh, so, yeah, I, I will be doing that. Um, I, hopefully I'll have everything done so technically challenge sometimes, but yes, by the end of next week, I will have all of the stuff that we're talking about. It's a six-week course, and it is it is um, a lot of, it's a lot of work, because you don't change things um, that have been ingrained in you uh, listening to somebody speak an hour a week. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it doesn't work, so you've got to, you got to be willing to do soul work, and um, yeah, and my book is actually, like I said, I'm hoping it's going to be out at the beginning of January is about uh, healing chronic illness through the mind-body-spirit connection, but then I also make a contention that if we can use our health as a catalyst, we can use our physical body as a catalyst, so many of the things that make us whole as a person um, are also things that are going to help us uh, geopolitically and environmentally, because I really do think that we're sort of at a tipping point, especially environmentally, and that if we can practice more mindfulness in our daily life, if we can be more aware of our diets and methods of food production and all of those things are so important on a small individual scale. They also are are things that we can take wider, that we can take bigger, that we can take globally and appreciate um, that those changes that you can make within can also create change across the world. So that'll be coming out in January. So oh, I love that too because we tend to forget that we are all connected whether we think we are or not and that our level of consciousness and our choices actually 
don't just affect our family, our friends, our neighborhood, or et cetera, our partners. It actually affects the whole realm of consciousness. And one of my favorite, favorite facts, and I know this is relating to maybe something someone's not familiar with, but on the scale of consciousness, it said that if one vibrates, which you can look up David Hawkins' Power versus Force is where I'm getting these principles from, although I don't agree with the whole thing, I tweak it, but if you vibrate at 600, which is above the level, just above the level of love on the scale of consciousness, according to him, you affect and bring up 6 million people's vibration. If that isn't a beautiful illustration of how one person can profoundly affect the world for positive by some of these concepts and by becoming more conscious, I don't know what is. And so I feel like that's what you were just kind of saying right there, is that it's bigger than food, it's bigger than exercise, it's bigger than all of us. It's truly about becoming more conscious and, you know, putting that energy into things that basically are eternal and that bring up our vibration to a great extent. So, lovely. We so appreciated you being um, with us. Did you tell us the name of your book? I don't, maybe I missed it in there. Did you tell us what it was? No. uh, Or are you not allowed uh, to? Uh, it's still it's still a working title, um, but yes, if uh, anybody's interesting interested in uh, knowing more about this class, they can email me at Angela at HestiaHealth.com, um, and that, like I said, I'm hoping to have it up. I will have one class up for sure this week um, in meditation for self healing, but next week I hope to have this whole class. I'm still just working on some of the podcasts um, next week, so it would be a great class to do as you head into uh, the Christmas season because, you know, we'll give you some uh, some good ideas on on how to hold strong and not have too many rum and eggnog. So. <laughs> and that's why I thought it was so perfect having you on as we're going into Halloween, which actually kind of starts the holiday season because, you know, everyone gets all that sugar and then, you know, Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then New Year's and then, you know, <laughs> we've gained 20 pounds. So I really appreciate you coming on with us and, I'm thrilled about your book and looking forward to um, hearing, you know, everything that you're doing. And if you want to send me your link to your website um, or your program, I'm not sure. I might already have it up. I'll be happy to put it up on my website, too, by the replay. Um, All right. Well. That, that would um, be great. Yeah, and I'll be in touch. So I have some ideas, too, for – I don't know. As you're talking, I'm, like, getting all these collaboration ideas, so we'll have to talk. <laughs> I look forward to that. That would be awesome. But thank you so much for your time, and it was our privilege to have you, and I hope you have a really good evening. Uh, You too. Thank you, Angela. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Wow, that was a lot of information power-packed in an hour. And up ahead, we are going to be talking to, hopefully, when he calls in, Antonio, who's the founder and director, I, I think he might have already called in, but we're having, like, really crazy things happen, as usual. I mean, it's the secret to everything, the Dr. Kim show, what else do you expect? But he's the director of, I'm really excited, Aerial Phenomena, and I have a hard time saying that, I don't know why, investigations team, and he'll be sharing, and we'll be getting into some nitty-gritty questions about UFOs, which is always a fun subject, because there's so many viewpoints on what aliens and UFOs are. So, Walt, I'm going to put you on the spot, which is one of my favorite activities here, as you guys know. What, what do, you th- do you have any thoughts about what you think aliens or UFOs are? I mean, what do you believe about that? Well, here, here's my thought, and since you don't want to tell me your thought, it's a big secret, because <laughs> I asked you, and you won't tell me. But um, my thought is uh, a UFO is an unidentified flying object. That's true. So whatever that is, 
<laughs> or wherever it comes from, it's unidentified. So you're not you're not making something up or hallucinating if you see something that doesn't look like the normal flying aircraft or a flying object. If it's if it's something you haven't seen, it's an un, unidentified flying object. So is it an alien? Is it the government? Is it whatever? I don't know. Um, is it a combination? Who knows? But whatever it is, it's it's something that that's that's pretty pretty darn amazing. And uh, I I myself have actually seen one, um, which I'll maybe I'll tell later on. Why can't show. you tell us now? We want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it was actually down in Ocean City, Maryland. Um, I was on vacation with my family and. I went out on the balcony. Everybody fell asleep. I went out on the balcony, and um, I looked out uh, into the, you know, into the horizon, and it was just there was two orange lights floating above the ocean, and I was like, no one's gonna believe this. So as soon as I opened the door, um, my wife was sitting on the couch, and she pointed above my head and said you know, with her mouth open, and, and she saw it. So everybody came outside, and, and we were looking at this three, actually three lights floating above the ocean, and uh, they just disappeared one by one. They didn't make any noise or anything like that. I guess we're kind of far away, but um, it truly, truly was an amazing thing to, to see. Did you film it or take pictures or anything? I did not, no. It was, <laughs> it was before the camera phone was... Uh, uh consider a real camera, you know? Right. So you didn't you didn't travel into that unknown territory. Kara, is mm-hmm. that our special guest? Yes, it is our special guest. Woohoo. Well, um without further ado, I'd like to introduce um Antonio, who like I said earlier, I hate saying this word. I should have had you introduce him, Kara, the founder and director of the Aerial Phenomenon Investigations team. He's a former U.S. Army counterintelligence officer and Department of Defense counterintelligence special agent. That sounds like a whole show right there. In those two capacities, he conducted and supported national security investigations concerning Department of Defense personnel who were suspected of espionage on behalf of a foreign power or terrorist organization. He also served as the department's specialized investigative resource to resolve known or suspected espionage cases wherein the subject's identity and service affiliation were not clearly established. He was awarded a Bronze Star for Combat Operation in Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom. He now resides in Annapolis, Maryland, and works as a future technology consultant for an array of U.S. government clients in the Washington, D.C. area. But what we really would like to know is everything he knows about UFOs or doesn't know. So, welcome to the Dr. Kim Show, The Secret of Everything, Antonio. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I want to thank you guys for having me on your show tonight. Uh, I feel uh, very honored. Oh, it's our honor, absolutely. Thank you for the heavy promotion on social media. I saw you were um, bribing your fans and people that follow you to call into the show and ask questions. I thought that was rather wonderful. So, thank you for promoting uh, your appearance. I really appreciate it. Oh sure, you know it's it's a uh, I guess one one platform to uh, I guess advertise both both our efforts. Yeah, that's that's right. It's social media is a beautiful thing when it works. So let's begin with the basics. 
could you tell us what aerial phenomena is about and what your mission is and how to pronounce it the correct way? <laughs> uh, well, pretty much um, uh, I'd have to go back a few years. Um, I've always been interested in, in uh, UFOs and, and those, type, those type of topics. And uh, prior to aerial phenomena, what I did was I kind of did my research and there are a lot of good UFO organizations out there, um, but one thing that I noticed was that a lot of these organizations are mainstream organizations, uh, really old school, still talking about things like Roswell, um, and more more importantly, what turned me off was that a lot of these uh, conferences that I went to um, were really inundated uh, with things that really had no no purpose in a UFO setting. Things like Bigfoot, the Mothman, Loch Ness, you name it. Uh, things that I believe derailed uh, what was once a worthy subject, which is ufology. So I decided, you know what, um, I'm going to create my own group. Um, the first thing I wanted to do was take the name UFO out of it um, because UFO is just synonymous with things that have nothing to do with ufology. So I just uh, came up with the title Aerial Phenomena. Um, to kind of give it a, a cleaner look. And, and you know, in about a year, uh, I recruited 13 investigators, mostly from the Washington, D.C. area. And, you know, our our, uh, our main intent, uh, other than investigating UFOs, is try to clean up ufology, uh, you know, bring it out of that. You know, you go into the bookstore and you look for a book on UFOs. It's, it's like snuggled in the corner in the, in the occult section, um, and that's not where it should be. Um, you know, it should be in the uh, in the nonfiction end, maybe hopefully in the future, in the science end. Um, so, you know, aerial phenomena is uh, its main purpose is to educate the public regarding what are UFOs, but more importantly, what aren't UFOs. Um, and then our second mission is to conduct investigations, uh, but from a notes and both perspective. And what I mean by that is, um, when we receive and approach investigations. We, rem we remove the extraterrestrial element out of the equation. And we do that for one reason, and that's because uh, even till this day, uh, there's really no proof, and what I mean by proof, I mean some physical proof beyond a reasonable doubt that extraterrestrials have visited our planet. So those kind of things and speculation and gut feelings kind of derail the investigative process. Um, so it, that doesn't mean we don't believe in extraterrestrial life. Uh, we all do. Um, but we remove that element and that mystery out of the equation, and, and we're like detectives. We approach the investigation using a, a process uh, that, you know, from analysis to scientific uh, processes, and, and, and that's what we do. That's it? No, I'm teasing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so what led you, what was sharing that he had a UFO experience, what led you into becoming a member of this group that you're a member of and researching UFOs? What was your trigger experience or thought? Well, like I mentioned, uh, you know, I've always um, was interested in ufology, UFOs, um, and the mystery behind it. Um, and really, you know, after uh, after uh, my, my uh, service with the Department of Defense, I was in grad school studying uh Space studies, uh, and I concentrated on planetary sciences. And it was at that time that I said, you know, maybe if I can converge 
investigative scenes that I learned uh, with my military service, uh, with the science uh, investigative skills that I learned in grad school, I can converge the two and approach uh, the UFO phenomena from that perspective, uh, kind of like a uh, a detective that has a scientific background. Okay. Um, so that's what makes you different from the other teams. Do you think everyone brings a bunch of bunny trails kind of into... Not necessarily, and it's not their fault. You know, um, uh, in the last 40, maybe 50 years, uh, specifically after the Cold War, um, well, actually, let's, let's even go back further. After World War II, uh, there was a, an acceleration to, to advance, uh, uh, you know, aeronautics. Um, there was the, the convergence of aeronautics, the, the Cold War, these cheesy B movies about flying saucers, mm-hmm. and this whole UFO hysteria just started derailing the actual phenomena. You know, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, UFOs were something that was kind of serious. Uh, you know, even the Air Force was looking into them. And then, you know, a convergence of the media, Hollywood, you name it, uh, and even technology today where you can make just thousands of these fake photos kind of gave you quality of that name. So my intent is to kind of fix that um, and and make ufology something that was used, you know, what it was serious. A good example is uh, last week I went to a uh, UFO conference and and it was just hijacked by you know things, you know, people calling themselves psychics, uh, people selling magic rocks that had interdimensional powers. Uh, the big the Loch Ness, and I walked in there, and I'm like, "Is this a UFO convention or or a science fiction convention?" And I kind of like, "This is why uh, I wrote the book Aerial Phenomena is uh, how to revive and retransform uh, ufology uh, to a serious subject." Uh, okay, I think we have a caller with a question. Hold on one second. Yeah. Hello, Robert. Welcome to the program. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Washington State. Woohoo, that's a long way away from where I am. So do you have a question or a comment for Antonio? Um, yes, I do. Um, I, I follow Aerial Phenomenon on Twitter. Love what they do and what they try to, to give to us is truth. My question is, um, it was kind of touched on a little bit about the technology. Um, with all these new Photoshop type of things, is there a vetting process that they use in order to try and vet out some of photos that are obviously fake as to ones who are real, or do they just put them all out there to the public and let us decide? That's an excellent question, and the answer is yes to both of those. Um, the first thing we do is uh, we have you know several types of professional uh, software uh, that we can do some type of forensics on the camera, you know, extracting exit data or things like that. And it'll tell us um, if the photo was manipulated, et cetera. But I think that the key part is the during the witness interview um, is that we ask specific questions regarding that photo, uh, you know, what type of camera we use, uh, the time that the photo was taken, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, how was, well, how was the, uh, the, uh, the photo transferred, you know, from the camera to the computer, et cetera. And th- those type of things, you really cannot hide. You know, if somebody t- tells me they took a, a picture with a Canon at 3 o'clock in the morning, et cetera, 
uh, we can look for that kind of data, and we can also look for the some people. Some people try to be sneaky and try to change that data, but we can also we can also determine if that happened or not. And we can also tell if if the photo was manipulated, um, if the object looked like it was manipulated or or not part of the actual photo. Um, and then the second part of the question is, uh, other than we we don't we don't release the witness information. But we do like to to put out the photos and the investigations that we have out there for the world to see, and not for them to shape or or uh, be part of the investigation, but to see what what they see. Because sometimes, you know, I can put out the photo, I can put out a photo, and 20 different people will see 20 different different things. Um, so it, it's uh, unlike other UFO uh, groups out there that don't share their data. Um, I think uh, data sharing is very important. Um, and it leads, you know, it, it leads the, the doors open to other questions that I would have not figured out. You know, I've had cases where people would ask me, Antonio, uh, did, you know, this photo looks weird over here. Can you check it out? And, and I, you know, we, we miss that sometimes, and uh, the general public uh, does help us out when it comes to the investigation. Excellent answer. Everyone has their own perception, but we all yeah. want to find the truth. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, uh, thank you, Robert. Uh, Thank you. The, uh, photos and videos is is really only one or two percent of the, invest- the investigation as a whole. You know, I look at the picture, I do the analysis, but really most of the data that goes into the case is witness interview, uh, testimony from experts. You know, I mean, in the industry, in the military, um, and more importantly, is going out. You know, we need we need to get off our chairs. And go out to the to the alleged sites and do our forensics. You know, uh, we we can't do the investigation behind a laptop. Kara, did you say there was a question in chat? Oh yeah, there's a there's a couple questions, um, and I'm sure this has kind of been answered before, but the eleventh in the chat room asked, "Do you go out to prove that UFOs exist?" No, not necessarily. Um, my, you know, my intent is not to, uh, you know, cause mass hysteria or cetera. You know, where UFOs, let's back up a little bit. That's a misconception because UFOs do exist, and, and all that is is an unidentified flying object that somebody saw. I think what people uh, get confused is they they should be asking the question: Do I think uh, UFOs are somehow associated with extraterrestrial life? Because UFOs do exist. We're getting hundreds of reports a year of what UFOs are and aren't. Um, and I'm trying to educate the public is that, hey, a UFO is not associated with extraterrestrial life. Uh, Hollywood did that for us, and now it's synonymous with ET. Uh, unidentified in its strictest sense means unidentified. Um, no, we don't We don't go out and, and advertise um you know, UFOs exist or, or government conspiracies or any of that stuff. Um, we want to, you know, we receive cases, we open and close them, um, and for the better part, we let the public decide uh, whether we did a good job in the investigation. Now, what's your take on Area 51? You did a documentary on that subject, correct? Yes, I did. Um, to me, Area 51 is a, is a very interesting place, um, and if you had a chance to look at the documentary, it wasn't really, it was more about uh, the history behind that reclusive base, 
and and a convergence of a lot of events, especially the Cold War, uh, that led Area 51 to be synonymous with with um, alien technology. My personal belief um, uh, is that Area 51 is 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 a highly classified base, and there is a lot of classified work that's going on there, specifically in aerial advancement. Um, and for those purposes, uh, the base has extremely high security there. Um, and I don't, you know, and they have underground facilities there. So, you know, underground facilities are to prevent um, satellites from our foreign adversaries from collecting imagery on the things that we're doing. It's not necessarily to hide extraterrestrial life. Um, but, but the my personal belief is that I don't think there's any of that stuff going on there as far as extraterrestrial life. I don't see uh, the evidence. Um, there might be there. It, it might be highly compartmented, but absence of evidence, you know, I can't. I, I don't. I don't want to speculate. Say, yep, there's, there's there's top secret alien stuff going on there. That's that's my personal belief. Well, Antonio, have you ever talked? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Have you ever talked to anyone that has claimed to have been in? Um, area 51, because oh, I sure. have, because I, I have as well. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of friends that that worked. Well, Area 51 is, is kind of a a nickname to the general area. It's really called Groom Lake in yeah. the Nevada mm-hmm. Test Range. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've known plenty of people that have worked there. Uh, I was just out there in February and March, uh, interviewing people that worked there, and and uh, you know people with clearances and. You know they they don't they don't even know what's going on there. You know they got their little corner in the stuff that they do, um, but they're very straightforward. They they haven't seen anything that's extraterrestrial in there. But then again, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. You know, uh, places like Area 51 and you know even where I work today, it's so compartmented that you just don't know what the guy next to you is doing. Um, so it's it's a very you know it's a very unique area, and I think that it's going to remain uh, unique. For a very long time. Yeah, <laughs> that was a that's an interesting way of saying that to remain. Now, did I see on Twitter um, that did you start some kind of hotline? Is that new? Did you did you yeah, did you I know, see um, that? The hotline is really it's 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 it was live, but now it just it goes straight to voicemail, and that was because uh, some people just don't have access to internet or their smartphones, and I just put up a hotline where they can call. And submit a sighting. Um, we check that about once or twice a week. And uh, you know, you know, it's you know, if you saw UFO report, just call in, leave your email, and as much information as possible. It's just another medium for people to report uh, any type of phenomena, other than Twitter, email, or the uh, the reporting website on my page. Interesting. All right. Um, what do you think about? Cattle mutilations. Do you have an opinion on that? Do you think that has now? I know it's hard to kind of separate. Obviously, a UFO is probably not, in your opinion, I would guess, doing cattle mutilations. That would be more of the ET area. Or what do you think cattle, about that? Cattle mutilations are interesting, and I've I've gotten a few reports on cattle mutilations, but they were you know they were never recent enough for me to go. Okay, let's pack up some stuff and check out these dead cattle. So it was like, oh, five years ago we had dead cattle. Um, I do know some people that do study cattle mutilations, um, and they're always, you know, there's always that UFO element to it. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I don't I don't see personally any connection. You know, there's uh, it's a lot of folklore, a lot of rumors, speculations. But I, as far as I know, um, I don't know of any type of cattle mutilation case where there was actual evidence of you know, radiation or extraterrestrial physical evidence left behind. Um, it's interesting. I, I, how to be honest, I don't know the what's behind cattle mutilations. There's all types of theories. Uh, that it's government experiments, that it's uh, a bunch of crazy up there, uh, that it's other animals uh, doing the uh, the catamulation, and as far as saying that uh, that it's extraterrestrial doing it. But I don't, if I had a catamulation case, yeah, I would be just one of the first ones out there to see what's going on. I'm going to ask you a random question. Well, you might, I, I just want to throw this in there because Karen and I talk about this occasionally more Kira than me (laughs) you don't even know what I'm going to say she's covering herself no there's been like a lot of weird rumors about the Denver airport do you know anything about that I know that's not directly related but it kind of is no uh, I I kind of googled it I think you sent me that question a while back and I looked at it and the only thing that I can find was something about there's, there's an area around the airport where there's allegedly uh, some type of interdimensional portal or something. But then, you know, when I start reading that, those type of websites, they, they start going down the conspiracy theory rabbit holes. That's and then I pull out I pull out quickly. I, you know, those type of things I don't kind of understand. Okay. Go ahead, Walt. Well, Antonio, do you, now, do you personally go out to investigate um, claims of where people have seen unidentified flying objects? And yeah, if sure. so, what what is the furthest you've traveled? The first yeah, first question is yes. We have we actually have um uh, a lot of equipment. We've got about twenty thousand dollars worth of, of uh forensics equipment from radiation detectors, uh two EMF detectors, things that you know, paranormal groups even use. Um and yeah, if we get a re- if we get a report that was recent, you know, not something that was twenty years ago, but that was relatively recent where the witnesses, you know, it's a kind of a triage. Uh, recent uh, investigation, recent incident, the witness is slightly credible, and the area is accessible, meaning it's not like a military base or or a private land. Um, yeah, we'll go out there. The furthest I've been to uh, was out in, the, out in the Phoenix area, um, and that report is on my website. Where, where are you guys located? We're we're, we're we're located in the Washington D.C. area, so we're okay. Uh, Maryland, um, Virginia, Washington D.C., and then I have several investigators uh, further out. Um, I have two in uh, New Jersey, and then my first international investigator, he's out of Canada. Okay, where uh, I'm from, New Jersey. So where where would they they be in New Jersey? They're they're both out of the, the Fort Dix area, Fordingtown. Okay. Yeah, well, I can give you their, their contact if you're interested. Sure, that'd be great. So, Antonio, yeah. when, just, when just, was... Just, oh, go ahead. Just to ask one more thing, one of the, uh, one of the investigators in Jersey, um, uh, initially I didn't want to do alien abductions because we wanted to stick with uh, the nuts and bolts of, of UFOs, but we were getting so many of them that I was, like, a little intrigued, so I, hi- I got a uh, an investigator out of Jersey who's about to finish his master's in psychology, and he's been looking into any type of alien abduction cases that we've gotten. 
so he is my, my I guess, my subject matter expert when it comes to uh, alleged alien abductions. Hmm. Well, what is your opinion? I'm talking. I'm just kidding. No, um, yeah, it's your show. What, Go ahead. What, what is your... What is your opinion, Antonio? I mean, are there are there aliens from other planets visiting uh, visiting our world? My my personal belief is I I don't think so at the moment. I think they might have uh, maybe a long time ago. Um, and you know, if you look at all the if you look at all the uh, all the UFO organizations out there around the world, there must be hundreds. Um, and there must be hundreds and thousands and thousands of UFO reports uh, in the last, just the last 75 years. And not one of those, um, I don't think any of those can stand all the scrutiny. If I was to walk in the court of law and say, okay, here's, here's the uh, proof beyond a reasonable doubt that aliens exist, I don't think I, I will be able to pass that muster um, because the high, I can't reach that high burden. Uh, my personal belief is that um, that extraterrestrial life does exist somewhere in the universe. It, the universe is too huge. Um, I don't think that they're uh, necessarily visiting our area in these flying saucers, running amok and kidnapping people. Um, the distances between, you know, solar systems and universes are just too vast. Um, and there's a lot of good documentation out there by really good scientists saying that that, that it's just almost impossible. Now, other people say, well, you know, they might be using uh, wormholes or interdimensional, you know, theories and things like that. That's, a, that's another possibility. But in itself, with all these reports and all these alleged crashes and all these alleged government conspiracies and all these alleged uh, alien abductions, it, I find it hard to believe that, that we just don't have the proof that they're, they're actually here. I want there to be, and that's, and that's why... That's why I stood up. I, I didn't stand up for phenomena just because I was bored. Uh, mm-hmm. and my intent is to find this group. Uh, have you have you ever seen anything that you thought was a UFO? No, I, I have not. Wow. Hmm. When was? Wait. Go ahead. Well, no, can I, no, can I, I'm just going to apologize. It's your turn. <laughs> you were going to apologize. <laughs> I really Actually, I think it's Kara's turn. I think Kara said she had a question. Oh, well, unless you pick that up telepathically. <laughs> um, well, since it is my turn up to dip bat, is there a connection to shadow people and UFOs? Do you hear a lot of stories combining the two? What is your theory on that? Well, that's a good question. I had I've had a couple of cases uh, where the witness was a um, well, kind of vice versa. Well, the, the witness was a paranormal team, um, and they were out doing their paranormal stuff, and they inadvertently, instead of catching paranormal activity, they caught alien activity. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we got a couple of photos and some alleged um, EVPs, uh, you know, electronic voice phenomena of alleged aliens trying to communicate. Um, so, you know, we've gotten a lot of, I'd say about three or four cases where uh, either a paranormal team or a UFO team kind of caught the opposite. Instead of, like, finding the UFO, uh, they they captured a, a demon or something. 
or instead mm. of catching a ghost, they captured some aliens. And yeah, just today, people, uh, I had about seven tweets today, people asking me if there is a connection between shadow people, the paranormal, and UFOs. Um, I, I, I don't know how to answer that because I don't do paranormal, um, but I think there might be a connection there. Uh, especially, uh, uh, my second documentary is going to be on the Skinwalker Ranch out of Utah. Mm, interesting. That, that, that seems to be like a, a, uh, a hub for both paranormal and uh, UFO activity. Uh, so it's interesting. Now, have you worked on anything related to crop circles? Are crop circles somehow tied into the UFO uh, phenomenon? I've got. We've received uh, two uh, crop circle cases, and when we went up to the sites, um, we were we were actually able to identify them uh, after doing interviews with the locals and the and the actual owners of the property, um, it was man-made uh, by farming equipment. Um, so we were not, yeah, we, we were able to close two, our only two crop circle cases uh, with, uh, the, you know, they were man-made. As far as the greater uh, general crop circle question is, I don't, you know, 99% of that, from what I understand, uh, is what they call modern graffiti. It, it was man-made. Um, and then there's allegedly one or two cases out there that you'll find on YouTube and these websites of some type of war or something not from this earth, uh, allegedly making the UFO, I mean, the crop circles as we speak, you know, you're watching it. Um, but a lot of, again, like the gentleman said earlier, a lot of that stuff you need to take with a grain of salt, especially today in modern uh, technology. Mm. You just mentioned um, demons. What are your personal beliefs about demons since you just that's kind of a random thing to throw in, kind of. You're talking about the paranormal, but what are you, since you brought it, since you brought it up, what is your belief I'm, I'm about not, I, this, uh, you know, I like those shows, you know, you know, Zach Bagans and all that stuff. Uh, but I've had close, you know, I've never witnessed any of that stuff, but I've, uh, I've had, you know, close people next to me, including my mom and dad, who say they've mm. seen, you know, things that were just not natural. Uh, so, and I, you know, I don't think they're lying to me, so I believe my mom. So if she says she saw a demon, uh, I trust her. I, yeah, I, you're I've not going to argue with her. <laughs> yeah. And I've had other friends, uh, both military, professionals, uh, even colleagues in college who've had paranormal experiences. And I, there's no reason for me to doubt them. You know? um, we just yeah. had a question. Oh, go ahead. Anton, do you, do you have a, a full-time job, or is this your job? And, and yeah, that's my question. No, I, I actually have a real job. <laughs> a real job. A real job that pays money. <laughs> yeah, I work for a company called Booz Allen Hamilton. They're a defense contractor out of Washington, D.C. Um, unfortunately, my clients are classified, so I can't talk about that or what I do. But so, Wait, I, so you work for the government? <laughs> No, he, he works indirectly. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm trying to. Spin yeah, I, I do, uh, and I, you know, I work in the uh, in the advanced technology arena. Um, uh, you know what what I do is I look, you know, thirty or forty or fifty years into the future uh, of what what the, what technologies our adversaries can use uh, uh, wow. against our. that's crazy. We don't, look at, we don't look at the technologies around the block or what Apple is building next month. But what can possibly be a, a uh, can damage us forty, fifty, or even hundred years from now? 
that's crazy because I know some of the stuff that was going on like 25 years ago and it was pretty cutting edge. I can't imagine the kind of stuff you guys are looking into now. It's kind of interesting. We have a question that came in in a weird way, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, do you, and I think you might have answered it, but the question is, do you stay clear from certain aspects of UFO, UFO sightings or abduction cases due to surveillance of him or his group from the government, i.e. men in black? So what do you think about all that? Or do they not watch you since you kind of are the government? <laughs> <laughs> do you get to do? You get like I, I, I a get, get out of jail of, free card. I, I get asked if I'm the men in black, you know, because people keep telling me I'm a debunker, you know, and I tell them I'm not a debunker. I'm just, you know, cleaning up ecology and and trying to make sense of the data. Um, I don't think the I don't my personal belief. I don't think the U.S. government uh, or the, I'm talking about the U.S. government specifically is involved in any of that kind of stuff. I I ra- I would rather lean to. Um, that the defense industrial complex might be, you know, the if an alien. My personal belief is, is if a UFO crashed and we had our hands on that technology, it's more than likely that uh, the defense industrial complex is the one that's controlling that technology, and and that would be for several reasons. A, uh, it's probably worth billions of dollars that technology, mm-hmm. and B. It's to prevent our adversaries from from getting their hands into to that technology. Uh, so it's it's kind of a uh, an advancement. It's, it's an advantage for us to maintain that technology classified if we had it to prevent it uh, unauthorized disclosure. Um, I don't think the government really would have. They might have. They might know some more about. It, but uh, again, that's all speculation. Um, as far as the Men in Black, I don't know who those guys are if they exist. You know, I think it's a combination of, of multiple things, uh, of people seeing things that aren't really there. You know, a guy shows up in a black suit and asks questions. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean he's he's a, you know a, a conspiracy man in black. Um, but I had you know I had one two cases where uh, a witness saw a UFO, uh, and then a couple months later, uh, allegedly two men in black came in and harassed the staff. And that video and case is on my website. And then the oh, uh, new one that just hmm. came, new one that just came is uh, a young guy out of uh, the UK was walking home, and allegedly a man in black approached him too. And I just interviewed him actually two days ago, so that case came up. Um, and an interesting thing uh, about these men in black is that there always seems to be some type of paranormal activity surrounding them. Both my cases regarding men in black, uh, the witness experienced paranormal activity in the home after uh, the alleged visitation. There was never any paranormal activity before they, re- they arrived. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of and, and, uh, so strange in and of itself. And then I, uh, a third case that I'm working on, which will, be, uh, which will be for my Baltimore conference, I'll be talking about that, where the, um, uh, the daughter... Uh, allegedly tells me that her dad was a Men in Black, and so I'm working. Th- I'm working that you know that research on that on that man, um, uh, and hopefully by October 27th I'll have that that brief ready for, for the Baltimore conference. It'll be it'll be confidential. I'm respecting her privacy. She doesn't want me to uh, 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 divulge his name, and I won't do that. But interesting enough is that that if he was a Men in Black, she's telling me that she also has paranormal activity in the house. So we've got three men in black cases where the witnesses are telling me that they have paranormal activity now. So that's 
that's I don't know if that's a coincidence, but three cases in a row with men in black followed by paranormal activity in the home is just something I'm going to look into. What, what kind of activity did they say that, that they were having? Also got things moving, breaking things fall, uh, shadows following them in the street, uh, crying, you name it. Wow. Is he still there? Well, I'm here. I know you're there. I can't he was, hear you. He was you. kind of breaking up, wasn't he? <laughs> Antonio? I, I, I hope yeah. the men in black didn't get him. <laughs> could, you, could you repeat what you just said? I, are you uh, there? You we about? can't hear you. We're like going in and out. Are you on a cell phone? Uh, no, I'm pretty. I'm right here. I hear you clearly. Oh, that's interesting. I always find it very, very interesting at crucial points how people lose connection and we can't hear them. Um, Somebody's listening. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. Okay, so what were you saying? Well, where were we? I kind of got distracted with not being able to hear Antonio. Well, we've been having, just so everybody knows, we have been having trouble with Blog Talk Radio, so it's kind of weird. Anyway, okay, next question. Well, yes. Was that me? Are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. 